This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. All right, we have been going through Exodus 13 and 14, and we'll go to 15 expositorily, verse by verse. And uh, for this to be helpful, our series is entitled Hope in Action, God's Breakthrough Plan. For this to be helpful, you need to personalize it. What do I mean by personalize it? I want you to think about a challenge or a problem or a uh, sticky wicket or conundrum that you are experiencing right now. Is it a health issue? Is it a financial issue? Is it a relational issue? Is it an important decision you have to make about your future? Whatever it is, think about that. Now, what I'm giving you is 10 action steps. That is God's breakthrough plan, and we're on plan step number three, action step number three. So the first one is God is here. Whatever your problem is, know that God knows exactly where you are. And he may have led you to where you are exactly so that he can help you. Secondly, know that God wants to glorify himself through your situation. And third, and that's the one we're talking about today, focus on God instead of upon your enemy. So I'm going to give everybody here an eye test. Are you ready? All right. Take your index finger and put it right in front of your nose. Can you see that? Look at the finger. All right. That one index finger. Now, put your hand out here. Look at the finger. The hand should be in the peripheral vision. Can you see your hand in the peripheral vision? Okay. Your eyesight's good so far. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is that when we go through tough times, we focus on the enemy or the problem instead of focusing in on God. Now, I want you to reverse it. Put your hand in front of your nose. Put your finger out to the side. Look at your hand. Can you see the finger on your side? Hardly at all. Why? Because your focus is on your hand. So this is the point of the entire message. For those who need to catch up on your sleep, you may now rest. The point of this message is we are to focus on God, not on the enemy. We're to focus on God, not make the problem our primary focus. Let's look at this together. First of all, hope Sees clearly is the name of this action step. And there are three points from Exodus 14, 5 to 9. God knows Satan's strategy. God warns us of spiritual warfare. And God defeats Satan's pride. Let's look at this. First of all, God knows Satan's strategy to try to enslave us again. It says in Exodus 14, 5, when the king of Egypt was told 
that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have, led the Israelite, we have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Now, what's important here is that Exodus 14 speaks of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, yet this drama is larger and more significant than just a world leader. Pharaoh is a type or a representation of Satan and is known in the, who's also known in the Bible as the devil. So let's review some of the symbolism of the Exodus story as it represents truths pertaining to us today. You have the Passover, which is a symbol of our salvation. Just as the Israelites were once slaves in Egypt to Pharaoh, we were once slaves to Satan and sin and death in the world. And just as the Israelites were able to be delivered, that is, saved, and the spirit of destruction passed over the homes of all those who had the blemish-free blood of the sacrificed lamb on their doorpost, so all of us who have received Christ in the heart of our, the home of our hearts are passed over from judgment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see the parallels that are going on here? So Jesus is our Passover lamb. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So the Bible clearly makes this parallel that Christ is our Passover lamb, and thanks to his shed blood for the forgiveness of their sins, we have been set free from Satan's control and oppression, and we have been relocated to the kingdom of God. It says that in Colossians 3, 13 and 14, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Can you see that? That you have been delivered from bondage and brought into blessing. You have been moved from slavery to sonship or to being a child of God. So this is important because it says we have moved from the land of slavery to the land of sonship. Romans 8, 15, 16 puts it this way. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship and by him, the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. But just as Pharaoh wanted to re-enslave the Israelites, so Satan wants to re-enslave you. He wants you to come over to the dark side. He cannot reclaim your soul because it belongs to Christ, but he can gain a foothold and then build a stronghold in your life in order to oppress you, to intimidate you, to control you, to dominate you. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this several times in Scripture. Galatians 4, 8 and 9, Formerly you did not know God. When you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. They were demons. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? 
2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That verse is talking about Christians, that it is possible for a Christian to be enslaved by Satan and demonic forces. Even though you've been set free by Christ, you can be caught in the devil's trap and unwittingly be doing the devil's work. This is a very severe warning. Galatians 5.1 clearly tells us to maintain our freedom in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So let's get certain things straight here. That as we focus on God and not on the enemy, we realize that God is all-powerful. Satan is not. God is all-knowing. Satan is not. God is all-present everywhere. Satan is not. God is eternal. Satan is not. He's a created being. So right there, we're not talking about yin and yang, that there's a good force and a bad force and they're equal in power. We're talking about the creator God of the universe and that he alone is God and Satan is but a created being, a fallen angel. The devil does not have a free hand in this world. He's on a leash, God's leash, so that he can do no more than what God permits. In the case of Simon Peter, where Jesus discloses, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has asked to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I'm praying for you. In the case of Job, the Lord said to Satan, behold, Job is in your hand, only spare his life. So, God sees the ongoing role of Satan, and he knows exactly what's going on. He intends to use this spiritual warfare to refine our faith, which is like gold. And God is the great general in this warfare. He sees behind enemy lines. He knows exactly what the strategies are, and he's made them clear in his word, our instruction manual, the um, Bible. So this is extremely important, that God knows Satan's strategy to try to enslave us again. Just like Pharaoh said, what was I thinking to let the Israelites go? That was a bunch of free slave labor. Who's going to make the bricks? Who's going to build our pyramids? Let's go back and get them. Satan does not like it when you go over to God and to the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus. So he wants to use intimidation tactics to try to get you back. He wants to try to oppress you. He wants to try to guilt you. He wants to try to lure you and bait you in any way he can to try to enslave you again. Don't let him. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Stand strong in your freedom in Christ. Secondly, God warns us of spiritual warfare. It says here in Exodus 14, 6 and 7, So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt, 
with officers over all of them. So again, in the physical realm and the time of history, Pharaoh decides to get 600 chariots. A chariot in that time would be like a major tank. I mean, a poor little Israelite camped by the Red Sea is already trapped. And if these chariots that are super equipped come over to get them, the Israelites don't have a chance. And it's not just the chariots that Pharaoh mobilized to go reclaim the Israelites to make them slaves again, but he had officers over all of them. So he has the 600 best chariots, he has all the rest of the chariots, and he has officers over them. You need to know that Satan is very well organized. That Satan has officers, if you will. That there are demonic forces. And it says in Ephesians chapter 6 that there are powers and principalities in high places. So there are demonic forces that we contend with. And we need to be aware. So God is warning us there is spiritual warfare. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This is the major teaching on spiritual warfare and God wants you to know about it. God warns us that we are in spiritual warfare, and to be forewarned is to be forearmed. That is, to be warned in advance gives you an opportunity to be prepared in advance. So if someone says to you, did you know as a Christian you're involved in spiritual warfare? And you say, what's that? You're in trouble. But if you say, yes, I do know I'm in spiritual warfare, look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. May I just stop there for a second and use the hand analogy? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his power. The devil, or Satan, our adversary, the accuser of the brethren, is mighty. There's no doubt that none of us could take him by ourselves. But greater is he, God, than the devil. And Paul stacks three words about power and strength here. Finally, be strong is one in the Lord, and in his mighty is another a Greek word for power, and in his power. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty Power. Where does the power come to defeat the enemy? From the Lord. And the way to do that is to put on the full armor of God. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the evil uh, of evil in the heavenly realms. There's an organized ranking of demonic forces that we are contending with. Verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. Now, here's the beauty of it. Have you ever put on the full armor of God? Now, this is very important because to put on the full armor of God is to clothe yourself with Christ. You're in a relationship with Christ and you want to make sure that you're wearing that full armor so that there's no chink in your armor by which the enemy can get a foothold and then a stronghold. So here's Paul. He's in prison. He's writing this letter by dictating it, and he is chained to Roman soldiers. And he's looking at the Roman soldiers as he's describing the armor that we should be wearing. And he says, first of all, put on the belt of truth. Why the belt of truth? Because if you don't have your belt, all your armor falls off. The belt is what cinches together all of your armor. So the belt of truth is the word of God. The first thing we are doing when we're putting on the full armor of God is we're affirming the truth of God's word. The enemy works in lies. He's the father of lies. And every lie he tells, you must confront that lie with the truth, the word of God. Put on the belt of truth. Next is put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is tucked into the belt. The breastplate of righteousness is that we have been set right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We have a perfect righteousness. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are forgiven and fully accepted by God, and nothing can change that status. So Satan may want to work us over with guilt and with doubt and with fear and with worry. But we've got the breastplate of righteousness that says his banner over us is love. We are fully forgiven and fully accepted in Christ. And then we put on that helmet of salvation, which is the assurance that we have been saved by grace through faith. It's not, our, uh, not by works, lest any man should boast. God gets all the glory, but he has saved us. He is saving us, and he will completely save us. What he began, he will finish. The good work he began in us, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, and he will complete what he began. And then we put on the feet shod with the peace of the gospel. As we put on these peace gospel boots, they remind us that we have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that our role is to share the good news of the gospel with other people that they might have peace. We're to be ministers of reconciliation, that God makes his appeal through us to other people that they may come to know him. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So we are to put on the gospel peace boots. Now can you see how Satan might want to attack you? He might want to attack you with a lie. Up. Oh, I got the belt of truth. He may want to attack you with guilt. I got the breastplate of righteousness. He may want to attack you with concern whether you belong to God. I've got the helmet of salvation. He may want to disturb your peace with worry and fear and get you focused on yourself rather than seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I've got the gospel peace boots. 
And then he might, out of desperation, start shooting fiery darts at you. And what do you use then? The shield of faith. You have faith in the faithful one who keeps you faithful. That's what God taught me. I got a card for Pastor Appreciation Month many years ago, and it, it had a picture of a Roman soldier with a, with a shield. And, and it said, Pastor, you're a 100-arrow shield-holding pastor. You know, some people might fall when one arrow hits their shield or when 10 arrows hit their shield, but he was saying I was a 100-arrow shield-holding pastor. And you know what I learned? I learned that when you're under attack, if you focus on God rather than on your attackers, He gives you the faith to stay faithful under that time of attack. That's so important, that our shield of faith is faith in the faithful one to keep us faithful. And then, what's the last piece of the full armor of God? The sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. All right, the sword of the Spirit, there are two words for Word of God. Word can be either logos or rima. Those are the two Greek words for Word of God. So when the devil attacks and you're using the sword of the Spirit, Paul was thinking not the long, broad sword that Romans have, but the short sword that they have more like a dagger for fighting man to man. So when you fight the devil, don't throw the Bible at him. Throw a scripture verse at him. Don't throw the Bible at him, the broadsword. Throw the specific verse, the dagger, at him. So when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil, and Jesus was asked to turn... um, stones into bread because he had been fasting for 40 days, what did Jesus say? Well, the Bible says, don't, don't bother me. No, he said, quoting from a specific verse in Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He gave a specific verse, a rima, to the devil, and the devil had to leave him alone on that account. So that's what we are to do. When you're tempted with fear, you learn verses about fear. When you're tempted about worry, you learn verses about worry. When you're tempted with anger, you learn verses about anger. And when the devil comes knocking, you throw a verse at him, and that knocks him off of his feet. You resist him with the sword of the Spirit. By the way, there is one more item in the full armor of God. Can anyone guess what that is? You got the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the feet shod with the gospel peace boots. You've got the shield of faith. You've got the sword of the Spirit. What is the last piece of the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6? It's implied. It's prayer. We're to pray for one another. And we're to pray for pastors and missionaries that God gives them opportunities to preach the gospel and that God would give them holy boldness as they preach the gospel. Can you see how prayer is also a spiritual weapon, part of the full armor of God? So the question I ask you today is when it comes to the subject of spiritual warfare, there are some people 
who say there's a demon behind every bush, and they make everything an issue of spiritual warfare. And then on the other extreme, there are some people who are clueless about spiritual warfare, and they don't even think it exists. I want you to be right there in the middle, where you know you're in spiritual warfare, you are putting on the full armor of God, but you're not living in fear of the enemy because your focus is on God, not on the enemy. All right, let's move to the last point, and it's this. God defeats Satan's pride. God defeats Satan's pride. In Exodus 14, 8 and 9, it says, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. So you need to know that just as the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh in pride decided he was going to go reclaim the Israelites. Aha, I've got them now. They're trapped by the Red Sea. They're sitting ducks there for the taken. And he thinks with his mighty army, his 600 chariots and all the other chariots and all the officers he's got, he is going to outnumber them, outmaneuver them, and overtake them. He's full of pride. And you know what? God allows for that pride because... God is going to use that pride in Pharaoh's life for his defeat, just as he uses the pride in Satan's heart for his defeat. In Isaiah chapter 14, it speaks about Satan's beginning. He was once an angel, an angel in charge of worship in heaven. And it says in Isaiah 14, 12 to 17, his name was Lucifer, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, and listen to this, because he's going to say the five I wills of pride. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. He wanted to be greater than God. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That's pride. That's the beginning of sin is in the heart of Lucifer who, due to pride, rebelled against God and he and a third of the angels were cast out of heaven to earth and that's been the spiritual warfare ever since. Uh, Satan, formerly Lucifer, and the demons, formerly angels, now fallen angels, are fighting against God and anything that is of God. But you know, 1 John 4, 4 says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Don't focus on the demons and Satan. Focus on God. Focus on the Lord Jesus, the author and the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. You say, wow, that is a verse I'm going to memorize. It's short, it's pithy, 
It's powerful, and it says plenty. 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Now, what's going to happen? Satan, who's a counterfeiter, copies everything God does. In the last days, just as there is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's going to be the unholy Trinity of the beast, the prophet, and the Antichrist. But guess what? We can read in the book of Revelation that they're all going to be thrown into the pit of hell. They're all going to be dealt with. And it says in Revelation 20, verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan, full of pride, thought he had the victory when he led Judas to betray Jesus, when he led the Romans to crucify Jesus. But when Jesus rose on the third day, that victory that he got for us on the cross was confirmed. Jesus is now Lord of all. He's reclaimed us for himself, and this whole world will be his once again. Jesus is the coming king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and Satan will be defeated and destroyed forever. So we are on the winning side. Someone says, do you know why I'm an optimist? Because I've read the last pages of the Bible. And it says, we win. And that's true. We win in Christ. In the meantime, we are in spiritual warfare. We're to resist the devil, that he would flee from us. We're to put on the full armor of God. And most importantly, we're to focus on God, not on the enemy. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.